Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm Farron, your host, and you will kneel before me, both you and your heirs. And I'm joined by Raimi, who doesn't say a lot, but grunts once in a while. Hey, Raimi. Uh. <laughs> so, of course, today we're watching, we've watched, Superman 2. And it premiered on 19th of July, 1981. And it was directed by, well, here's where it gets tricky. The directing credit went to Richard Lester, but in fact, about half this film was directed by Richard Donner, which I guess we'll probably get back to. And it stars Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, Gene Hackman, Terrace, Terrence Stamp, Sarah Douglas, Jack O'Halloran, and Ned Beatty. I'm not sure why they give him such a big... Uh, like, I'm not sure why he's so high up on the uh, cast list, considering he's in, what, five minutes of the film? Who's Ned Beatty? Um, Otis. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, so the thing with the directors is that Richard Donner, who directed Superman 1, he signed, I'm guessing, at least a two-picture deal. This movie, like you remember from Superman 1, it opens with the trial of these three criminals. Superman 2 was planned. And, you know, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you say, well, that's no big deal. But in the 70s, it really was a big deal. And so the, the idea was that Richard Donner w would plan both films, and then he'd film them one after the other. But for whatever reason, halfway into Superman 2, they fired him. And they replaced him with Richard Lester, which turns out to be a pretty good a pretty good choice because they actually released the the Donner cut of Superman two on DVD for like the thirtieth anniversary or whatever or the twentieth anniversary and it's awful. It's slower. They took all the best parts out of this one. They added all the the most boring parts that had been left on the cutting room floor. It was kind of a disaster. So I guess they wanted something a little more serious than Superman one. You've seen Superman the movie, right? I have, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if you remember, it's kind of like two movies. Like the whole first half of the movie is his origin story. And it ends with him being in the Superman costume and flying, you know, towards Across the screen. The and then the second half of the movie is essentially him in Metropolis and, you know, Lex Luthor and this stupid idea to sink California into the sea. It's like it's two movies. And like Donner did a great job with the first one. It's very reverent. There's no comedy. It's very serious. And then the second one is sort of this goofy campy thing. And I think the studio decided they didn't want that for an action film, which is what Superman two really is. Right. So do you remember when you saw this the first time? No, again, it probably goes back to this late eighties. Yeah. yeah. It's for your this time. is a year after I was born. I think oh, okay. just over 81. Yeah. So it would have been probably like late eighties and probably maybe the only time I've seen it. This isn't one I've watched. Really? Since, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Bits and pieces come back, but lots of it I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you've seen the others. You saw one, two, three, and four. You saw three with Richard Pryor. and I have seen them, and again, I, I wouldn't be able to put them in order. Or no, fair enough. It would be like watching them new again every okay, time. Yeah. Well, you're not, you're not missing much with Superman 3, though like we were saying, you know, Superman 3 is two movies. Is the one where Superman is split into two, good and bad, or essentially becomes bad and then fights his way back to being good. And then there's the shitty film with... Uh, uh, Richard Pryor, and if you were to edit out the Richard Pryor bits, this would be a a better film. Though I have a cool story about that film because I, I was in it, sort of. And then Superman Four uh, involves Nuclear Man, and that's as fun as you think it is. It was just awful. <laughs> and then you remember Superman Returns? Yeah. That was meant to be like the sequel to this movie. Right. It was as if uh, who did that? Brian Singer. It's like Brian Singer looked at Superman 3 and 4 and said, they're shit. Let's remake Superman 3. And so that's really what Superman Returns was meant to be. It was, But it was kind of almost like a, a fetishization of like Richard Donner. Like They treated the Richard Donner Superman, this movie, and Superman 1 with such reverence that the movie, I don't think, sort of stood on its own. And that's right. why it failed. But, and then they had, uh, was it Kevin Spacey took over as um, Lex, Luthor. Lex Luthor because Gene Hackman... 
said, screw that. <laughs> that is fun. But uh, yeah. So this film, I'm pretty sure I saw just like on video. I don't think it's something my parents would have taken me to see. I mean, that I would have been. Well, when did this when did this come out? It was June, in July eighty one. June uh, June eighty one. So I would have just turned, what like six, seven, six. You know. So yeah, she wasn't taking me to a movie like this, and you know, my sister was would have been four at this point. So we weren't watching it. But you know, I I really loved it when I saw it. Like it was, believe it or not, until the Batman of eighty nine. This was the most intense superhero film made. Right. You know, I mean, that was noir and dark and all that. But this was, like, it's kind of a violent film. It's it's not nearly as campy as the first one. And, you know, it, as a kid, that's what stood out to me, that, like, wow, this is a serious film. Like, look at that fight. Remember I was telling you, the, the, the battle in, in uh, sorry, not New York, in in, uh, in uh, Metropolis. It, it seemed so intense and amazing as a kid. And that would have, like, I really, it really made an impression on me. I thought, like, wow, that's, like, super like that's super violent, super action filled. And of course you look at that compared to you watch, what do you say? You watch, you watch man of steel of the other night. You this said this week. Yeah. 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 And that movie is like thousands of people die and, and they're blow being, up the whole town. Blow, and, yeah. yeah. Entire skyscrapers coming down. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's almost like they made the, the new Superman movies and decided we need to dial it up to 15, not just 11. Let's just crank it all the way up. Yeah, everything needs more action in today's day and age. they got such an amazing technology to do graphics. But, I mean, I think when you look back at these classics, Star Wars, Star Trek, Superman, yeah. these superhero films, the the for what the time... Yeah. I mean, that, this is cutting-edge technology in 81. This is Yeah, more or less, yeah. You know, you've got... Uh, you've got some pretty cool special effects. Yeah. And I mean, do they hold up today? No. Well, no, but for me they do because yeah, yeah. I grew up with it, but you show, if you show a 15 year old that they'd be like, what garbage am I watching? Well, I've, you know, I've, I've seen this film with younger audiences, like the first one anyway, and they have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing is, is that, you know, the first really serious special effects film, like, like where you look at, you know, other than like, you know, 2001, which was a whole other level of filmmaking, but the first, special effects extravaganza would have been star wars and empire strikes back though that wasn't out even when like the first first superman one came out in 79 so a year before empire strikes back came out that level of technical acumen for special effects that came out of lucasfilm like though there's a reason they're still the best right because they've been doing it the longest and i think when you look at superman 2 you're seeing a film that like they hadn't caught up yet i mean these days everyone just goes to lucasfilm Lucasfilm doesn't just work for 20th Century Fox. They they do everyone's special effects because they're the best. Yeah. You know, they're the best. But back then, Universal didn't have access to them, so they did the best they could. Right. They're also having to integrate humans into the special effects, whereas with the exception of really the lightsaber, there isn't any of that in the Star Wars films. I mean, the laser bolts, they draw in afterwards. Yeah. Just like... You know, even as late as like Star Trek: The Next Generation, they used to it used to be a thousand dollars for every time they fired a phaser because that was the cost that the company charged to draw it into the film. They were drawn in, <laughs> and so even you know ten years later, they're still, you know, it was still all not practical effect but drawn effects. Whereas you know, and, and of course, all of Star Wars original stuff was practical as well, but it was all models. It's easy to make it look good when you don't have any humans in the film. Here, they have to make people look good when they fly and when they're being thrown around. And 
picking breaking desks in breaking half, desks in half, half or stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. And as I said, at the time, it was, you know, what sort of got me was, like I said, like sort of the action-packedness, the intensity of it. And these days, it actually still, I think it holds up. Um, what sort of strikes me now, I think, is maybe it's the effects don't hold as well as they should. Maybe that's what gets me. And Yeah, for me, I don't remember it being so slapsticky. Like, there's just kind of the... The campiness to it, yeah. Yeah, the, the goofiness, the... the um, the guy that helps him get out of jail. Otis, Medvedi's character. Yeah, yeah, and he's just such a such a dolt, and like, there's just this like kind of underlying Camping. slapstick, yeah, humor. That well, is, that's why they chose Ned Beatty, of yeah. course, is a, who of course is a uh, is a is a comedic actor. Right. Uh, he was also in uh, was a Deliverance. He plays the guy who uh, has the pretty mouth. So he he can do dramatic roles, but right. I mean, they chose him for a reason. Yeah, it's just a little more goofy than I remember it being. But yeah, it is action packed, and, and you're right. I mean, it's hard it's hard to watch when we're in 2018 because yeah. <laughs> it's you're, well, that's kind of goofy or whatever. But there's some there's some good parts to it. I mean, yeah. it's it a yeah. good movie. It's I, a good storyline. I still and, think it's better than the modern Superman films by far. Like, yeah, I'm not much of a I'm not uh, I don't know the comic book stuff well enough. I mean, neither I do the, I. I see in the new movies, and I say, oh, the graphics are really good, or yeah, you know, the Dark Knight was one that uh, yeah, Dark Knight's stuck a magnificent with me. Like, just film, yeah. fantastic. Heath Ledger yeah. was yeah, that's an incredible. That's the best. That's my very one favorite of the best adaptions yeah. of any villain slash superhero yeah, I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, but you know, some of these new ones, uh, Iron Man, those types of things, are they're entertaining. But this is classic. This is yeah. This is where it all started, really. So uh, yeah, pretty much. I think. I mean, the for Superman, me, this, yeah. Well, no, I think the Superman films were kind of the first superhero films. Like, yeah, there was shitty like a TV movie of Captain America, and like, but those were sort of quickies. Like, let's make a few bucks. There's mm-hmm. no intent. There's no attempt at fidelity. Like, let's be true to the comics. Whereas this one, they tried at least doesn't always work like the campiness i think that was put in because like guys this is a kids movie let's you know let's dial it down a bit but i still prefer like you know over over the new ones you know when we of course we were going to watch this was this four months ago we started this <laughs> yeah. was, we were supposed to that's what happens when you have sick kids and you know well and then i think we did some other we did a couple we, of different we did karate there. kid but yes because we were waiting for heather right. who unfortunately of course this is you know this is the first episode so we'll say this is that and unfortunately uh, heather's had to leave the podcast she's you know she's she's a she's a busy woman with a with a special needs kid and we're sorry to lose her uh but that's why we kept delaying because you know her, her, her andy was not well and then your kids weren't well the same weekend and, and then was, you yeah. weren't well well yeah i had surgery i'm recovering i'm at home recovering from surgery but you know the the addition of the prehensile tail is really helping as you can see but but uh when we were when, I, when we were preparing to to do this i did a ton of research like way more than is normal for this podcast i watched the first the sort of the pilot episode of the adventures of superman with george reeve no relation to christopher reeves was it christopher reeve and george reeves uh, reeve reeve okay reeve. yeah sorry george reeves plural uh he played the original superman like in the 58 59 i watched the first episode of that i watched of course superman the movie superman one superman two three and four i watched superman returns then I watched uh, Man of Steel, which I despise. I absolutely despise. Uh, Batman v Superman, which is a, also a pretty bad film. And I watched the extended edition, which is like three and a half hours. And it just extended my pain. I even took the, made a point of watching, uh, what's the latest one he's in, uh, Justice League, just as bad. But then I also watched uh, the a pilot episode of Smallville, which was much better than I gave it credit for, even though it's like a teen drama. And then uh, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. 
I got a, I think I got 45 minutes into that pilot and I had to stop. Like it was that bad. I thought <laughs> I don't need to know that much about Superman. I need to stop now or I'm going to go looking for a rope and a, and a, and rafters. Like it was that bad. <laughs> you know. So I did a little bit of prep for this. I also spoke to a very good friend of mine from high school named Carolyn who is a devout evangelical and I asked her about I asked her about uh, this idea that Superman is a Christ-like figure. Uh, which I discovered is mostly about Marlon Brando talking endlessly into a microphone for Superman 1. It isn't actually something, to my understanding, that comes from the comics. Uh, and so she, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, you know, so I, I did a little bit of prep. And you know what I found, despite the fact that, you know, The Adventures of Superman had much worse special effects, obviously, it was from the 50s. And, you know, even Smallville on TV had better effects than this film because it was, you know, by then they were into CG. And despite the you know the DC Universe movies now with Henry Cavill as Superman, regardless of the special effects, I still think this is the best Superman movie. The portrayal, the the story, the fact that they take the time to develop these characters, but yeah, the campiness kind of gets to me. Uh, but it does though. Like it, it would be, I think, if it, if it didn't have that, I think it would be a li- little bit dry for yeah. today's. Yeah. Day and age, it kind of lightens it up a little bit, which, yeah. like you said... Well, that was one of the problems the with the Richard Donner cut. They got rid of the campiness. Right. So, And just... as much as I thought, oh, I'll be so much happier without it, no. Yeah. It, like you say, it's dry. You use the exact right term. Yeah, it just it brings out a little bit of something in every scene. It's like, oh, that's goofy. Or I even caught myself like chuckling to myself yeah. when something goofy was happening. So yeah. I think it adds that little bit to the film where, you know, it, watching two hours and seven minutes of, yeah. you know, just a 1981 action movie. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, I wonder how much... You look at Star Wars, they kind of always have that. They have the the goofy character, those goofy... Yeah, movies, there's humor so. in those films. Yeah. Yeah, it, just, but it's not campiness the way it is here, right, which isn't yeah. a criticism. It's just, it's a different it's a different choice. Right. And I wonder how much of that is like, guys, this is a comic book movie. Who takes this crap seriously? Whereas you look at the MCU movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, they take themselves, they, they have comedy in them, but they never take the characters unseriously. Like, yeah, that's not the word. <laughs> Unserious is not a word, but they always take the characters seriously, even when there's comedy, even when right. they're funny. Uh, though the MCU movies, as I've argued, really, they're not superhero films. It's a workplace sitcom involving superheroes. Yeah, like the, the, the campiness here is very much, uh, Roger Ebert put it, that you always get the impression that Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder who passed away a month ago. The two of them have good chemistry together, but they're always winking at the camera. Right. Don't worry, guys. It's just a movie. Relax. It's no big deal. And yeah, it, it creates a balance I'm not sure I'm comfortable with, or not comfortable. I'm not sure how happy I am with it, but I know what happens when they remove it because I've seen the Donner cut of Superman 2. Right. And it dries it right out. So let's sort of take a look, go through this. So the movie starts actually exactly the way Superman, the movie, Superman 1 starts, which is the trial of... Uh, General Zod, Ursa, and Non. You three criminals have been caught in a further act of seditious treason. General Zod, your only feeling was contempt for our society. Your only desire was to command. Ursa, the only feeling you showed was for your vicious general. Your only wish to rule at his side. Non. You are as without thought as you are without voice. This council has no hesitation in proclaiming you all guilty. Uh, uh, yeah. And 
the thing is, in the original film, it was Marlon Brando as Jor-El, you know, Superman's father, trying them. But it turns out Marlon Brando wanted too much money to come back for the second film, so they said, fuck you. And they just, um, well, they probably said a little more polite than that. And so they do the entire trial, instead of in five minutes, they do it in like 30 seconds. And remember saying it was like super symbolic, like we never know what it is that Zod wanted. Like we get the impression in the first film, as I recall, that he wants to rule Krypton. Right. He's evil. Yeah. But we never know why. So in the second film, they just show him break a crystal and immediately he's captured. Like the whole thing is super symbolic. Like it's not on the nose the way the crimes of General Zod are in Man of Steel. Yeah, well, that's a little bit more direct. And in here, they yeah. later on in the movie, they talk about, we can finally rule Earth. Yeah, he wants to rule. Yeah, so that's... The funny thing is how bored he is, how, how quickly he gets bored. It's, it's like a dog chasing a car. Now that he's got it, he doesn't know what to do with it. But right. yeah, so you know, they do, the, they do the, the trial, and they show them banished to the Phantom Zone. And again, this was all filmed for the first... Most of it was filmed for the first movie. They obviously redid a little, probably little bits and pieces that they needed. But this is all from the first movie. And then quite conveniently, you see the credits, which is like the first movie. So it's handy for you because you hadn't seen Superman 1 in a while. So you got to see the entire first movie during the credits. And I think it's actually kind of clever because it, you know, we think now, well, if you miss Superman 1, well, I'll just go watch it on Netflix. Or 10 years ago, I'll just go rent it. But in 1981... Most people did not own VCRs. People forget how expensive they were. We had a Betamax machine in 1981. This thing was enormous. It's like the size of a microwave now. Oh, uh, well, it wasn't, half, that, half it half it wasn't that thick, but it was, I mean, it was, oh, I'd have to say the length of my arm. And it was about as tall. If you took a DVD case and stood it up, that's how tall it was. The thing weighed a goddamn ton. And it cost, my parents brought it back from Vegas, it cost two grand U.S. That was in 1980. Two grand U.S. Two grand U.S. I could buy a gaming laptop that would be the top of the line. But this was just a shitty little Betamax machine. Two grand. And most people didn't have that. So if you missed Superman, the movie in the theaters, you were screwed. Chances were. So they have to sort of show you what happened what happened yeah. in the first movie like they don't do that in superman 3 by that point that was 1984 most people own dvd uh, dvds most people own VACRs. vcrs because at that point beta was gone it was all vhs which was much cheaper beta was a sony product and sony wanted to be the only one to produce it and so all the other manufacturers went okay we'll go with vhs screw you sony one of one of sony's many great uh, uh business decisions but yeah we see the entire film like the entire first film, well, not all of it. I mean, they don't give you every the last Coles detail. Notes version. Yeah, the Coles Notes were actually a pretty good, pretty good way to describe it. And then, you know, we start with the new film, which is Clark Kent wandering into the Daily Planet and being completely ignored. Completely ignored. He doesn't understand why no one will even say hello to him. And he makes the point of going, "Hey, how you doing?" And he throws his hat over his shoulder and it hooks on the uh, <laughs> on the coat. Rack. He doesn't even look, like follow it to look to see if that yeah. happened. He's just like he just knows it's going to yeah, land. Yeah, you got to wonder like how many times he practiced that at home, even as Superman. Uh, and of course, she doesn't even notice. He doesn't understand what the problem is. He goes to see Perry White, the uh, the publisher, and he discovers that. Kent, I need a background story for the page three sidebar. Get me everything you can on this terrorist group. Right. Uh, sorry, T- terrorists? Get your head out of the clouds, Kent. Where have you been for the past 12 hours? Uh, home. Well, don't you watch television? Well, actually, I don't really enjoy television, Mr. White. There's too much violence. I was just reading Dickens. Mr. Kent, a gang of terrorists seized the Eiffel Tower. 
In Paris. He knows where the Eiffel Tower is, Olsen. You do, don't you, Kent? Yes, sir. Has anybody been hurt? Well, so far the hostages are unharmed. The hostages? Yeah, tourists. About 20 of them. Yeah, but that's just penny ante stuff. These guys claim that if the French government doesn't meet their demands, they've got a hydrogen bomb ready to level Paris. For tippers, Mr. White, that, that, that's terrible. That's why they call them terrorists, Kent. And it's funny, as we were saying that, you know, in this day and age, the word terrorist immediately would be what? Muslim. Muslims. It would be, it would be people of Middle Eastern origin. But people forget that in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the primary, actually pretty much the exclusive perpetrator of terrorism in Europe, actually, and in, in the United States as well, were homegrown. Radical communists, radical fascists in, in the United States, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, that's terrorism. And, and we never really learn what these people are about, what these terrorists are. Like, we know they're French, because they have French accents. But we never learn what their demands are. They we, let all the hostages go, but they're going to blow up the Eiffel Tower anyway. I wonder if they were going to blow up the Eiffel Tower. Well, they were, yeah, I guess they were rigging it. Yeah, because uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah, like they had to release all the hostages, and then they're left with this oil drum with a nuke in it, supposedly. Well, actually, not supposedly, is a nuke. Lois Lane L- sneaks her way up the ladder and yeah, stairs. Yeah, past and... the most incompetent cop in all of Europe. No, 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 no
Clark Kent walks across the street and gets struck by a uh, cab and it destroys. <laughs> it, the funny thing is how everyone just sort of lets him walk on by. No one's following, going, "My God, I think that's Superman," or "This guy's a freak. What is it with him?" You know, like they just sort of. I, I think it's meant to be sort of the New York of the '80s, where and I don't see nothing. But uh, yeah, no, that's good. And then another little series of him and Lois Lane, and it, it, she mentions something about Superman, and it's like, "Oh, you're jealous." Yeah, and he's like, "No, I'm not jealous." <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, he does a really shitty job of pretending not to be jealous, despite the fact that he's the one she's jealous yeah, of. He's, like, he's more jealous that he can't be Superman to get the girl yeah. all the time. Yeah, that was that's the one bit of writing that I don't think really stands up quite as well as it could. Is that he's for someone who's trying desperately to hide the fact that he's Superman, he's doing a really shitty job of it. Right. But yeah, she's there's a whole big thing where you know she's into oranges, and he gets to be a goof by squeezing the orange, but having his thumb under the orange squeezer, and of course it doesn't hurt him. And like, okay, like <laughs> you could have cut that last few seconds out, and it would yeah. the scene would be just fine. And then we get to go finally to prison, and this is a prison right out of a children's cartoon. What are the kids wear? Or what are the prisoners wearing? Black, black and, and white, white stripes. stripes with the black and white hat. With the black and white hat, yeah, right out of. I don't think I think they dropped that shit after like the Second World War. They stopped making prisoners wear that crap, right? Because that was what they made people wear in the camps in Europe. Like, oh yeah, we're gonna change that. Yeah, we better yeah. let them put them in like a button-up shirt or something, or, or yeah, or, <laughs> or orange jumpsuits or whatever oh, yeah. it is. Or you know, I, I can't I can't claim to know a lot about the Canadian or American prison systems. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they don't wear comic book, you know, black and uh, whites. Black and, whites. <laughs> and you know, we get to see. Um, Lex Luthor and you know the thing with Lex Luthor is that in the my understanding in the comics is I've, I've maybe read if I've read a dozen Superman comics in my life I'd be surprised but my understanding is that Lex Luthor is a monster like he's very serious he's exceptionally intelligent it's power he wants he's not he's not a slimy real estate speculator right like he yeah. is in these movies at one point in the comics my, Lex Luthor becomes president Oh, <laughs> it's the running joke comparing him to uh, Trump. Is like now we don't have to go to Superman comics to see a, a villain be president. Is Trump in the White House? But yeah, at one point, uh, Luther is elected to president is elected to the presidency. Uh, I mean, this was some years ago, and I don't know whatever happened with that, but whatever. But here, played by Gene Hackman, who's an incredible actor, he's just this used car salesman who loves to talk about Lex Luthor, the Lex Luthor, the smartest guy on earth, and uh, the smartest, What would the world do without me, and I'm so amazing. Yeah, and... This is how it ends for the greatest criminal mind of our time. Not with a whimper, not with a bang. How did they choose to reward Lex Luthor, the greatest genius in this world? Did they give him glory? Did they give him treasure? What matter of fact do they give him? Life plus 25, Luthor. Get to work. And he's just... He's... Like... He's a he's a real estate slime ball. Like his whole in, in the first movie, his whole plot was to send nuclear weapons into the San Andreas Fault and cause uh, California to slide into the sea because he bought up all of the land on the east side of the fault. Oh, yeah. And in Superman two, what does he want? Australia. And when we see him again in Superman Returns, what is he doing? He wants to create a whole new continent out of Kryptonian materials. So he, like, it's so all... Superman can't get at him? Yeah, but also that he'll have all this land to sell. Right. Like, he is literally a real estate slime bag. Like, <laughs> it's like, really? Lex Luthor? And, and like you say, the, the goofy guy Otis who follows him around, you know, he's, he's in prison with him because they got nailed at the end of the last film. Though the babe who was with him 
uh, Miss Tessmacher. She's who knows where she is. Yeah, so we see them in prison, and he's talking about, you know, how somehow in prison he's been able to construct uh, a high-tech, uh, you know, bleeding-edge radar system. That tracks alpha Alpha waves. Oh, alpha waves, yeah. yeah. Alpha waves, yeah. Yeah, so because yeah. Superman's too fast to pick up on modern radar. Radar, yeah. yeah. I love that. He, he builds this in prison. He, you know, it's, it looks it, ominously like a ghetto blaster. Yeah, like a shitty radio from the 80s. Not even a, a really good boombox, but just like a shitty radio that they got out of like the production office. Like, we need something. We forgot to build a prop. You, give me that radio. And yeah, like it's like they pried <laughs> off the Sanyo logo or whatever and just went with that. Uh, you know? And I was like, really? Yeah, it was just... This movie like seriously could have done without Lex Luthor altogether. I really think they could have found another way for him to figure out that Lois Lane was... Yeah. you know, Yeah, he, he was a little bit goofy. I mean, he... He was in there, I think, because he was signed for a two-picture deal. I, I'm guessing that's right. What, that's and my there's guess. There's no reason. Like, he doesn't really provide a whole bunch of value. The, no. His loose storyline is he knows the Lois Lane. He knows where Superman lives. Yeah. Because they would never figure that out. And he knows that Lois Lane is connected yeah, to he, Superman. Yeah, he knows that's that, yeah. Kind of the only reason he's in there is... To, two things they could easily have explained away and gotten rid of him altogether. I mean, look, I, I think Gene Hackman is a fabulous actor. The French Connection, Mississippi Burning... Uh, you know, the birdcage. I mean, this guy is, he's a, he's, he's an alien. He wasn't in his day. He Crimson was in Tide. Oh God, that's right. It's one of my favorite films. Fantastic. Movie. Too bad. It's a nineties movie or we could do it. Yeah. It's one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite. It's probably my, well, let me, okay. Well, Denzel. I mean, what? Yeah. What Denzel awesome... Washington. And yeah, those two, like you realize you look at this film and go, Jesus Christ, he was slumming compared to movies like, yeah, like Crimson Tide or any of these. You name any film that he's in, even a wacky one like The Birdcage. Or Behind Enemy Lines, which was kind of with Owen Wilson. In the right, which is a well, shit but, film, but, but he is great he, in yeah, it. Yeah, he's the yeah. commander of the... And know. here, you know, it's... You can only do... You can only... An actor can only do so much. Yeah. And I'm sure he did his best. He's in Behind Enemy Lines... Or not Behind Enemy Lines. Uh, the one with Will Smith where the... Uh, enemy of the state. Enemy of the state. Yeah, uh, he yeah. was fantastic. In yeah, he's the, in all. He's the he's, tinfoil wearing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, I can't think of a film he's done that I didn't at least enjoy. Yeah, uh, for his presence. Yeah, he's a like he's one of these actors. I'd watch him read the phone book. Here he is just wasted, and I feel bad about like like you think he he collected a paycheck and moved on, but it's just uh, you know they could have done. It turns out the reason though he always wears wigs in these movies is that Gene Hackman didn't want to wear a ball cap. Oh, fair enough. So it's only in the very last scene of the original Superman that he pulls off his wig and reveals the true Lex Luthor. And then of course in prison he's got a ball cap again. But then the next time we see him, he's found his wig again. And it's because Gene Hackman just didn't want to wear a ball cap. Okay. <laughs> I never thought. I mean, the fact that Lex Luthor is bald is fine. Whatever. I know he was meant to be like an evil daddy Warbucks. You know that from Annie. Yeah. That's what Lex Luthor was intended to be, the evil Daddy Warbucks. So Daddy Warbucks was bald, therefore he's bald. But I don't think being bald makes Lex Luthor what he is. No. You know, the best, actually the very best Lex Luthor was from Smallville. Not Lex Luthor himself, but Lex Luthor's dad, played by something Glover. can't remember the actor's name, but he was really good in that. Um, but yeah, so this little scene, and then we go back to the moon stuff, where we learn that in 1981 there's a joint American-Soviet moon mission and they've been up there for what they say 41 45, days 45 in that days tiny days. little lander imagine three people trapped in effectively a tiny car 
for 45 for 41 days and no and no one die no one dies yeah you know and then they're being monitored over at at, um at at houston by uh uh, by the mailman from cheers that's oh yeah yeah you recognize the yeah yeah and you know that that one's kind of like it's it's a neat scene it's not well like the this is where they ran into trouble with the, the staging because you had to see people flying and the fact that the humans like for them, gra- you know, the, the, the one quarter gravity is a thing. They bounce and they hop and they float. But for these Kryptonians, they walk around as if to them gravity, it's, it's almost like it's Earth, which is weird. But it does show you like they're super. Right. Well, and it says the closer we get to Earth, the more our powers are. Yeah. Strange. I tore those metal fibers like paper. And what he did was amazing. Something is happening. Yes, to all of us. The closer we come to an atmosphere with only one sun, a yellow sun, the more our molecular density gives us unlimited powers. So it's it's not just the yellow sun, it's the atmosphere, which my understanding of Superman is it's actually the sun. It has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with the atmosphere. Like he'd be stronger on Venus. He'd be yet stronger on Mercury. But whatever, it's a movie, what do I care? It's, the guy who wrote this is dead, so I don't think he's around to debate anymore. But yeah, so and they learn of Houston, so they're going go to go Houston, Earth Houston, yeah, Houston, because it's a, it's a, uh, they're hearing it much or Planet Houston, Planet Houston, because they're hearing it from a southern accented astronaut screaming through glass. Not that there's anything to carry that sound, because there's no air, but whatever. The whole planet Houston, Earth, the whole planet Earth, Houston. This Terrence Stamp. Has got a thick British accent, yeah. but yeah. So they kill these guys, and it's funny because at first they're like, because they don't really realize how powerful they are, and they're just like toying with them. You know, they take one guy and they she, you know, Ursa takes the the patch off his uh, his uh, his his spacesuit and kicks him off into the distance, and then you know they bungee cord the other guy, the with bungee the cord the other co- the, the cosmonaut Boris, because of course Boris, because he's a cosmonaut. Uh, yeah, and then they crush the uh, the land, the Artemis lander. And they talk about, like, wow, this is amazing. It's like, yes, we're all getting more powerful. And they head off to Earth. And it's neat because at this point, of course, NASA has no clue what is going on. Right. They're just like, what did he think he saw? A girl. A curl? You know, what's a curl? What was that he said before? He, uh, he saw a girl? Well, I thought he said curl. What's a curl? Well, isn't that what the old Canaveral guys used to call a comet with an east-west trajectory? How should I know? I was back in high school in those days. He gives him this look like, fuck you, kid. You know? yeah, exactly. But we forget that the people who would have been working at NASA would have been there in the probably in the, in the 60s to see the moon landings. So Then they just get back to jail now. Yeah. Lex Luthor's going to make his big escape. Yeah. And, and the cool thing about this is he got his Radio Shack black box and a projector. A well, hologram jail. projector hologram. In, in jail. Yeah, that's... Man, jail is easier than I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he escapes, and it's a stupid, it's a stupid comedy shtick with a, a hot air balloon, and that's where we learn Miss Tessmacher is breaking him out. And they leave Otis behind because he's too he's fat. fat, and every time he steps on a rung, the balloon goes closer. Yeah, it, it's again, what does that scene? It's it's a self-contained scene that you could have just eliminated. Like I, I'm sure someone out there has just edited Gene Hackman out of this film. Well, I guess you can't because in the end, he's the reason they become mortal. But you can edit out almost all of his stuff. And oh, yeah, you know, this so. scene 
like it's like meh you know and then we get into like super camp like it's not just a little bit campy it's like super campy. oh yeah yeah when they go to uh, the canadian side of uh, niagara, uh, falls. niagara falls to the honeymoon suites and there and uh, uh yeah not zod you know kent and lane when what are they doing they're um pretending to be a, a married uh, honeymoon couple, couple yeah, or whatever. mr and mrs smith of course yeah because they have to they're trying to uncover a story about something with niagara falls yeah like some sort of scam where they're taking yeah. honeymooners for all they've got and you know a lot of that is just shtick Right. It's it's like let's watch these two interact and Clark, you know, and it's it's Clark Kent, essentially Superman, trying to woo Lois Lane as Clark Kent. And he's adult, and he's adult. Yeah, because he he can't suddenly become not Clark Kent. He has to stay in character, and so he's constrained by that. And she's not interested in him because. He's not Superman. Well, look at him. He's a loser. Yeah, and and it sort of intercuts between. You know, Miss Tessmacher and Luther heading north, following the, the alpha, alpha waves. Alpha waves. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that they're in a in a hot air balloon. You can't control the direction of those. <laughs> the wind can. The wind control. So lucky for them. Fortunate day. <laughs> fortunate few days where they break out of a prison in, I guess we'll say the eastern U.S. All the way to the North Pole. One constant wind. That's convenient. So, not nearly as convenient as what happens when they run out of food, water, and the need for a toilet. But, <laughs> but yeah, so it interdisperses between that and the, sort of the Niagara scene. So we actually had to see Niagara Falls. And it's kind of cool that they actually filmed there. That couldn't have been cheap. No. To move everything to, there just for that? Well, not to, I mean, it's, it's not so much that. It's just to block it off. To pay the Canadian side of Niagara to close for what I'm guessing was a couple weeks of filming. Like this film, and we forgot to say how much it cost... This film was not cheap. It cost 54 million bucks. Oh, wow. That's in 1980. And to give you an idea, the most expensive movie in its day was this absolutely shite Schwarzenegger film called The Last Action Hero. Do you remember this? Oh, God, yeah. That cost $79 million. And that was, what, 15 years later. And that film was a debacle. And people couldn't believe, oh, my God, you cost 70-whatever million dollars to make. This movie cost... 54 million in 81 in 81 now look it made 108 million so it did and by the way that back then was a big that was a lot of money right you know in 2008 tron legacy only made 150 million in profit and uh, disney abandoned tron 3 because it was they didn't make enough money but then you know we're in an era where black panther made what was it a billion dollars and infinity war in a made weekend a, a, yeah well not in a weekend i think in the first two weeks but yeah like a, all the highest earning films i mean there's no comparison but then all you have to do is send that damn film to China and it makes a billion dollars because, you know, just the sheer numbers. But Superman 2 didn't open in 3,000 theaters worldwide. It probably never showed outside of Europe and North America. But so, you know, 54 million bucks, that's a lot of fucking money. Well, I mean, Top Gun, which was a really expensive movie of the 80s, was 15 million. 15 million. But a lot of that was underwritten by the... Uh, by the U.S. Navy, right. but still, but let's still, double that. Let's let's go crazy and double that. It's, yeah. it's still only thirty million, but I wonder how much of that money was spent paying Christopher Reeve, who now was a big star, and Margot Kidder, who now was a big star, and Gene Hackman, who was already a huge star. Think of how big, much they would have spent if Marlon Brando was in this. Well, movie. that's why they said go away. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. He he wanted. My understanding is he wanted too much money. Yeah, uh, I mean, I remember what a big deal it was when you know Hunt for Red October, which we've got to do at some point because that's a magnificent film. That, that movie did really well. 
and Alec Baldwin was supposed to play Jack Ryan in the next film, Patriot Games. He wanted $20 million to come back. And they told him to pound salt, and they brought in uh, Harrison, Ford. Harrison Ford, who did it for much less. And then when he did the second film, he demanded $20 bucks, but he got it, uh, because he's Harrison Ford. <laughs> right. But the fact that $20 bucks for one guy, well, this is an entire movie, $54 million. And it must have cost a few million to clear Niagara. Niagara. Because that's not something, even just the walking and talking scenes, that's two, three days of filming. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it was, uh, you know, it was a funny scene. They got, you know, he's sitting there, they're talking through him flirting with her and wooing her. And then there's this kid that's climbed up. Dumbass kid, yeah. On the other side of the railing, and the parents, the parents run over and grab the kid. And then two minutes later, he's going to get hot dogs. And the kid's on the other side going, Mom, look at me. I'm a stupid kid. Yeah, and falls. falls into <laughs> let the, him, let and him the fall. parents don't even notice until the until Lois, who's taking pictures of... Yes, the slowest fall ever. Yeah. Give Superman time to go and change. change find and a phone booth. No, no, no. He did, no, I think he goes... Doesn't, right he go by, doesn't he go behind, behind the hot dog Behind stand, the hot dog Where stand. all of a sudden there's no people. There's no people, yeah. Conveniently. Um, well, it's one of those things. If you, everyone's looking in one way, all you have to do is look in the other. And we've already seen from the beginning of the film that he doesn't need a phone booth. Which I think was just used in the original Adventures of Superman and the cartoons because it was convenient. Right. It was like no well, you know. And just before this, his he gets bumped or Noah's glasses get covered in water and she goes to clean them off and right. she looks at him and notices like, you look ominously like, like Superman, Superman when your yeah. glasses aren't on. <laughs> yeah. It's like when Farron takes his glasses off, he looks like Farron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like Farron. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't help. No, just uh, I'm, I'm still just me. But uh yeah, but you know, like Superman we've seen can just sort of run and change into Superman because that's how he did at the beginning of the film when he started on the back alley there. Oh uh, yeah, started yeah. off towards Paris. That was actually a cool effect. All they did was you know blend Christopher Reeve running twice, once in his suit, like his, yeah. his his business suit, and the other in Superman outfit, and then they just sort of blended them, and that worked really well. Yeah, he doesn't need the phone booth, but yeah, it's it's a it's an oddly slow fall. Conveniently, Conveniently slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conveniently um, slow. So he well, catches the kid. Well, fishing the, the corpse of the child. Here's your dead child, mom. Yeah. That probably would have made it for a darker film. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more of the Or DC what universe. should have Superman should have been like, should we even save this kid? Like, yeah. You're too dumb to live. Maybe throw yeah. the parents over. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he you drops her off and she's like, Superman, it's me trying to get noticed by yeah. Superman. And then she starts. Lois Lane does that, yeah. Yeah, Lois Lane's like, well, where did Clark, Clark go? Yeah. Weird. You know, the funny thing is, is that there's a. There's a really neat article. I think it was on io9. io9 is a sort of science fiction slash fantasy, you know, comic book site, io9.com. And they did this, this amazing article on how Christopher Reeve pulled it off, how he looks to be Superman or Clark Kent. And so they show this. It's got to be five seconds. Did you ever see it? I, th- I know I sent I, it to you guys. I didn't see it, no. There's this amazing... It was just like a GIF. Where they're just animating. I think it was out of Superman 1. Where Jor-El des- or Kal-El decides he's going to reveal himself as Superman. And so he takes off his glasses, but that's not what it does. That's not what does it. He stands up straighter. He squares his shoulders. And the look on his face changes oh so slightly. In this five seconds, you see Kal-El go from being Clark Kent to Superman. And it's the pure performance of Christopher Reeve. People, I think, sneer because it's a comic book movie from the 80s. But Christopher Reeve does a fabulous job. And it has not, everyone, everyone always jokes, you know, and it was in the article too, what kind of idiot doesn't recognize Superman just because he's wearing wireframe glasses? But it's all in the demeanor. Clark Kent 
hunches over. He stammers. He's always fidgeting with his glasses. His hair is messy. He's adult. He's adult. He's clumsy. He always, yeah, he always seems he's not one. confident at all. Yeah, he's clearly educated. I mean, the guy reads Dickens, which isn't exactly high literature, but the fact is, you know, he's a simple country guy who's come to the city. He's a little wide-eyed. All these things. And Superman is everything that he's not. And it's just the demeanor that changes. But in the movie, they make it so much about the glasses. Right. And yet, it's Christopher Reeve doing this kick-ass performance. Yeah, so she thinks, she, yeah, at least say, she starts to clue in, I think this is Superman. So then she throws herself into the is water. That, is that right away? Oh. No, it's not oh, right oh, away. No. no, first we go back to the Fortress of Solitude. Snowmobiling across the North, the North Pole. The North Pole, which is, turns out not to be a problem if you don't have food. Maybe... maybe I was about to say maybe they eat, maybe the uh, maybe that's where Miss Tessmacher goes on the way back. <laughs> he eats her, but uh, yeah. or, he hasn't eaten in days. Or maybe but, he's got a device to lure polar bears and seals. Maybe I don't know, they but just don't yeah, show it. Yeah, but yeah. So they he he gets into the uh, Fortress of Solitude, and they hint in that in Superman Returns. You remember that one? Yeah, where they go to the they go to the Fortress of Solitude, and so one of the girl who's with uh, with Lex Luthor, played by um, Kevin Spacey, says, "You act like you've been here before." And Spacey sort of looks at the camera. And of course, anyone who's a fan of the Superman films knows they're referring to this exact moment of him finding his way into the Fortress of Solitude, which ain't, ain't much of a fortress if you can frickin' walk through the front door. <laughs> and this is where he learns about crystals and he, he figures out what Superman is all about. Because that's the one thing about Lex Luthor that has always made him so dangerous. He knows exactly who Superman is. He knows he's Clark Kent. You're right. Like, even in the, even in the few comics I've seen, that's the thing. It's that he dares not... He just... He, he uses it to, he knows he can't kill Superman, so he doesn't reveal he's Clark Kent because, that, then, he, because then he has a little bit of power over him. You fuck with me, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let the world know you're Clark Kent. But yeah, he learns, and then of course, conveniently he learns that Zod and company are in the Phantom Zone. So now we head south. Yeah, now we head south. South, Mr. Smucker, south. You know, and it's all so convenient. You know, those explain those other three alpha waves that I've been following. As opposed to what would have happened is like, oh man, I'm, just, I'm detecting four alpha waves. Oh shit! Which direction do we go in now? Uh, okay, it's it's not a well-written movie in the best of times, admittedly, but yeah. And then we have the cornball scene where Lois Lane tries to prove he's Superman by throwing herself into the river, and this is a bad scene, man. Yeah, she floats <laughs> down the, and then he shoots a log into the water for her to grab onto, and using he, his heat vision, pretty much gl- ends through up, his glasses. Yeah, yeah, pretty much ends up saving her as Clark Kent. So then she's like. You're what I thought was Superman. Sorry. This is really embarrassing. Because he ends up falling into the water, and which, is, a, which is such a which is such a pratfall, you know. Yeah. So she has to rescue him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again. That's another scene that is actually eliminated from the Donner cut. It's not in there. Right. Um, th- again, well, that was the problem with the Donner cut is they got rid of all the campiness, which I thought I'd be excited about. But as much as I don't like this scene, the interaction between Lois Lane and and Clark Kent. I think it's important. Well, and I think it's important to build like that she learns that he is Superman at some point. Instead of it's just the big reveal of it just happening, there's this, she has these hunches and she's an investigative reporter, so she should have hunches. Um, You know, in Man of Steel, they just come out and say, oh yeah, I know he's Superman pretty much right from the get-go. Oh God, that's such a bad Um, film in every way, shape, and form. So, whereas here, they're they're actually building to that and I think that it, it, I think it's bad, but it works. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
Yeah, and then and then we we go back to uh, Zod and and the, and the gang landing on Earth, and there's the there's the walking on water thing, and the joke of the, the fisherman sees him and throws out his coffee. He's what's in the coffee? If I'm seeing a guy walk on water, and we see that Ursa burns a snake, so she's learned she has heat vision. But now we learn that Non does not. He may be really strong. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wasn't he like? In, wasn't that actor used in like uh, uh, like James Bond movies? Yeah. I don't know if it's the same guy, but that guy... That's not Jaws. It's not the guy with the teeth. It's someone else. Yeah, he looks super familiar, but he reminds me, maybe in Star Trek, was he used as a Klingon? He's a big guy. Yeah, I don't think he was used as a Star Trek. big motherfucker. We could look it up easy, but I don't care enough. Yeah, he's one big motherfucker. motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not Arnold. He's not Arnold. The platform shoes are pretty hot, though. That's right, yeah. They're all wearing this weird fetish gear. And so that's a quick scene where we learn that, you know, Non is... He hasn't harnessed his powers, maybe because he's dumb. Yeah. Like, he's not intelligent. He's, like, the kid of the group. Yeah, like, he's there for muscle. She's there because she serves him. And and you can tell, though, he, he later on, we learn Zod is kind of annoyed with her, too. You know, and then we go back to the scene where they're, you know, in the, in the honeymoon suite where they're drying off. And it's interesting that here, Superman trips and lands in the fire. Like, his hand lands in the fire. Right, and that's... But it's not the Clark Kent shtick. Like, he's not pretending to be clumsy. He trips. He, honest to God, trips, which I thought was weird because you wondered, did he do it on purpose? Did he... Because what, what happens is, right, his glasses come off and they fall into the fire. And he reaches in and he grabs them. And that's when she realizes, like, you're not burnt. Yeah, let me see your hand. Yeah, yeah. And it, that was a good scene. I, I thought it was actually a genuinely powerful scene. Like, just the look on his face where he at first says, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. And he just sort of stops mid-sentence. And you, he, you can see it in his eye. He realizes, shit, okay, it's, it's out. And then she admits she loves him, and you know, he never admits in the scene he loves her, right? You know, but a day later he's renouncing his powers and because he loves her, yeah, because he loves her, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of those things, you know. This is the sort of movie where you bring in baggage with you, right? You ever see The Shadow? I don't think so. It's a wonderful, wonderful film with Alec Baldwin. Actually, it's it's based on the old radio play, The Shadow. And they made this movie in the 90s, and it's very campy and it's silly, but Roger Ebert had said, the more you bring into a film like this, the more you get out of it. And it's true here, too. Everyone, even if you've never read a comic book, everyone knows that Lois Lane's in love with Superman, and that Superman is secretly in love with Lois Lane, but he can't say anything because it would be a danger. And Clark Kent likes her, but she's saving herself for Superman. Yeah, because she doesn't realize that, you know, Superman's trying to find a way to be with her without revealing he's Superman. So... There's sort of a shorthand walking into this movie. It's, I think, one of the problems with superheroes these days, and I think it's one of the smarter things that Marvel did by choosing all their B-movie, or all their B-list characters. No one knew who they were. Yeah. Most people had no idea who Iron Man was, but now he's like the biggest thing, the biggest hero out there. But he was a nobody when they made that film. Yeah. Or who the fuck's Black Panther? Now, I, I know some of these characters because, despite the fact that I dislike comic books... I definitely thought Black Panther was a political movie. Um, well, because the Black Panthers were a were a black political revolutionary party, and in fact, because Seems of like that, something you'd make a movie about. Well, <laughs> there is actually a really good documentary on Netflix about them, really quite good. But yeah, because of that, they changed the character of the hero Black Panther to just Panther for a while. Oh, and then the Black Panther Party sort of went away, and they went back to being Black Panther. But yeah, all these act, like all these sort of minor superheroes, like Thor. Who the fuck is Thor? Isn't he like a god? You know who's the wasp who's the ant who's ant-man daredevil uh, daredevil you know most people you know if you'd ever passed by a comic book rack or you had a kid like i knew who daredevil was because i had a comic by him but superman everyone knows who superman is yeah right? superman and batman everyone knows who these two are and so you run into this problem of how do you 
make it interesting. Now, I think the DC movies, DC movies failed miserably on that. They turned him into an asshole, a yeah. selfish prick. Here, he's, he's the, he's the quote-unquote proper Superman. He's the Boy Scout. But there's still that sort of shorthand. We know they love each other. Move on. Right. So let's move on. So they get there, and then they show... <laughs> then they show, yeah, these two... Zod and... Well, yeah, these two hick, the sheriff and the sheriff's deputy. <laughs> and they have a run-in, which, again, you could cut that scene. It wouldn't matter, you know, where, where, where Zod and company has a run-in with the, uh, with the sheriffs and his deputy. And then that's sort of it. Now we know he's made contact with humans. But again, why is that scene in there? Because the sheriff and the deputy have no impact later in the film. Like, they're in the next scene in... What's it called? East, the- East Texas... The town of East Texas, Idaho, or yeah, Iowa, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that was just a poor name for a town. Like you think they could have made something a little less, something less confusing. Smallville, but yeah, like. yeah. Well, not Smallville, but something. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so the next scene is, of course, Superman flying Lois Lane, who has nothing on her. You'll notice, but somehow has a change of clothes available to her when she wants to get into something more comfortable. <laughs> and they go to maybe he's just really creepy and has like a dress-up closet in his <laughs> he's a cross-dresser he's, he's, he's transgendered so that now that would be a different take on superman well it is it is pride month so what the hell but yeah it's just that is wow that is something right out of the 50s i'll just change into something more comfortable no no we're going to have sex you can just take it off it's yeah. fine i'm, I'm getting yeah. naked too but birthday uh, suit is the most comfortable <laughs> yeah absolutely and that's like this quick little scene and whatever and then Did you wear your cape yeah <laughs> I, let's not go there. This is, a, this is a family podcast. Actually, it's not. We are t- we are technically listed as explicit, but that doesn't mean we need to go to gross places where I'm going to have 50 comic book nerds on my doorstep, pitchforks and torches. Yeah. So at this point, we're going back and forth between him putting the moves on Lois Lane and Zod and company in town, and we see her pick a fight with this country bumpkin, you know, in an arm wrestle, and you know she. It's clear she's spoiling for a fight and. My circus is in town. Hey, sweet thing. Sit them buns down here. Let's just hold hands. Let me know if this tickles. Breaks him through the table. Breaks him through the table, which, if you'll notice, looked like no other table in the entire diner. (laughs) Which tells me that they filmed it in a real diner and brought in this table to be broken. Right. And, you know, then another guy tries to pick a fight with Ursa and Zod throws him through the wall. And at that point, you have, you know, the fight is on. And then we're going back and forth between Superman and them. And, you know, while... They're going to take over Earth, and Superman's going to renounce his powers. He renounces for his powers, girl. yeah. Your father and I tried to anticipate your every question, Kal-El. This is the one we hoped you would not ask. But I have to, because she's everything I want in life. And she, the one you have chosen, she feels as much for you? Yes. Then if this is what you wish, if you intend to live your life with a mortal... You must live as a mortal. And so, yeah, so while Zod is tearing up East Texas, Iowa, whatever the hell it is, the one man who can stop him is stripping himself of his powers. Irreversibly, as she says. Irreversibly, absolutely. This cannot be undone. That's true. In fact, they blow up the, uh, the console in the Fortress of Solitude. But, of course, there's, you know, they, they, they foreshadow early on that 
there's a way out because the green uh, crystal, the one that was sent from Krypton, the one that sort of everything comes from this one little green hand crystal, she sat on it because it's so important. He doesn't notice that they left it in the snow. They, they left the it. They left it in a step, and she'd been well, sitting on it for an they hour. Were going to the bedroom, so he was a little distracted. Well, but, but she was sitting on that while he went off to wherever to get food and flowers and flowers. So while they're tearing up East Texas. Lois and Clark are tearing up the bed and uh, you know that's sort of that and, and it's interesting because then things get a little more intense because now Zod moves on to the White House well first Zod finds the finds the news camera and says right, yeah. you'll kneel before me the commander and, 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 yeah, and, and then then the budget army shows up which is like whatever whatever weaponry and <laughs> uniforms and a shitty old World War II jeep they could get off the, the universal lot that's what they have to attack Zod with, and of course that goes badly. That's actually, again, that's a pretty violent scene. Um, there's a little bit of camp in it, but it's it's a pretty intense fight where these people are just toying with the army and they're blowing helicopters out of the air. Though it's funny because, you know, when we see the president watching on TV, you know, that a, you know, a fleet of helicopters is going in and they're showing like a fleet of Hueys, which is clearly just Vietnam footage. But when the attack helicopter actually arrives <laughs> it's, one. it's one helicopter and it's on a string and it's on a string yeah and it crashes into a barn where apparently they were storing gunpowder and, and and plastic explosives because it blows up like crazy and three times three times that's when he realizes hey let's let's go to the white house so that's when they learn it's not planet houston it's planet earth and the president is the, the president is uh, they never figure out how he, how he they never tell us how he figured out where the president was but i'm guessing they interrogated that general that four-star general right they seem to I only serve the president of the yeah, united states he will serve me or whatever it is yeah and so off they go and then you have like the the white house fight and that's a pretty scary i don't think up until that point we'd ever seen the white house get attacked in a film oh yeah i guess i can't think of another movie i mean there's you know there's a few movies about nuclear war where they say oh the white house is gone but i don't i can't think of a time where you've ever seen it prior to this prior to seen? this Prior to this. Oh, since it's every movie now. Every goddamn movie. I mean, there was two movies in one summer. White House Down, which is actually kind of funny. Uh, that's the funnier of the two. And Olympus Has Olympus Fallen, has which fallen, is yeah. this, you know. Gerard Butler. Way too much testosterone. You get testosterone poisoning watching the film. <laughs> but this one, it's, you know, it's kind of chaotic. Like, they drop in through the ceiling. They're throwing people left, right, and center. Breaking guns in half. Yeah, like, but there's machine gun bullets everywhere. Yeah, so, they, you know, we, we see in the Oval Office that... Um, you know, it's kind of this, it's an oddly powerful scene. You know, the music is very ominous where someone, you know, like all these generals and advisors surrounding the Resolute desk where someone is sitting. And we're pretty sure it's not the president because we've seen the president. We, we don't ever actually see the president. We see him from behind. We hear him talk. But he it's had clearly, hair. He had, yeah, he had hair. I'll start there. this guy was bald. He's bald up top. You are the one they call president? I am. I see you are practiced in worshipping things that fly. Good. Rise before Zod. No. Kneel before Zod. You are not the president. No one who leads so many could possibly kneel so quickly. I'm the man they're protecting. 
I'm the president. I'll kneel before you if it will save lives. It will. Starting with your own. They kind of ruin the scene at the end when he says, Oh, God. And Zod replies, Zod. Like, it just, right. it takes all the, the dramatic energy out of that scene. It's like, oh, we're back to camp. God damn it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's kind of a a humbling scene. You know, the, the idea of the U.S. presidency brought low. Of course, we see that every day, but that's another matter. You know? <laughs> And then they show Superman without power. <laughs> That's right. At the truck stop in what I assume is somewhere in, in, in northern Canada. Though they still haven't explained how they got back. With him at not having superpowers, they've somehow found their way back to a car dealership. He has acquired a vehicle. Neither the, I don't think Superman had a wallet with him. I know she didn't bring her purse. So I think what we've discovered is they've been wandering through the, the snow for, for months. <laughs> come across a car. Stolen it stolen clo- warm clothing and cash so they started a life of crime apparently bad continuity <laughs> bad co- it's a it's a continuity error yeah it's just come on it's just a scene in there to show oh no he doesn't have powers he yeah. bleeds for the first time yeah he uh, he picks a fight with a trucker or a trucker picks a fight with him mr wonderful who's just this douchebag he gets bloodied and then that's when we see the announcement from the president we interrupt this program for an urgent message from the president of the united states this is your president. On behalf of my country, and in the name of the other leaders of the world with whom I have today consulted, I hereby abdicate all authority and control over this planet to General Zod. Only by strict compliance with all his directions with the lives of innocent millions be spared. Superman, can you hear me? Superman, what? Who is this Superman? You'll find out, General. And when you do... Come to me, Superman. If you dare, I defy you. Come. Come and kneel before Zod. Zod! Then he realizes, I've got to go back. They warned me, and then he walks north again. And she goes back to work. Yeah. Well, because she, what, what's she going to do? Like she She's going to go write a story on <laughs> yeah. the, what's happening in the White House. Yeah, I guess so. And yeah, and, and they, they show... I, I had recalled when I'd seen this originally that it was much more... There was much more footage of him sort of wandering through the snow and struggling to get there. But no, they really only show a couple of scenes. I think I was thinking more of Superman the movie, like Superman 1, where they do show young Clark who leaves home after his father's death um, they show much more of that journey. So maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Right. Yeah, so then he goes back to the Fortress of Solitude, which is now green. Yeah, because the the control panel was destroyed. Right, and the only and thing the, left is the... the glowing uh, green stick. The, the glowing green stick, which we've unfortunately nicknamed the, the Kryptonian Suppository. Yeah, I can't get that out of my head, and now, dear listeners, neither can you. It's the <laughs> Kryptonian Suppository. Because the irreversible power loss... Was, is not they so kidding. They, were, they yeah. didn't say if you don't destroy the green crystal, yeah, you can flip back and forth yeah. from morality and well, well it, mortality, yeah, mortality, no, not morality, but yeah, yeah, morality, um, yeah, mortality. Uh, but but you know it makes sense. I mean that that green crystal, it's specifically what Jor-El sent. It is the it is like that is what young Clark Kent threw into 
the Arctic Ocean to cr that that built the Fortress of Solitude. It is what had all of the information from Krypton. Right. Everything was there. It just. But then why say it's irreversible? If it, you're just going to go and rebuild everything again. Um, so you know, the minute he finds the, he finds the green thing. I mean, not like we didn't know Superman was going to win in the end. It's a freaking, you know. Superman three would have been far. It would have been Zod. Zod three. Zod one. Zod one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very different movie. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like in Empire Strikes Back when he when he crashes the snowspeeder. It's like there is an Adat foot that's supposed to land that just doesn't, and that would have been a very different if they'd done that properly. The movie would have been a lot shorter, you know, <laughs> with Luke Skywalker being scraped off the bottom of the Adat foot. But yeah, so now we know Superman's back. In the meantime, we go back to the Oval Office where Zod is sitting behind the Resolute desk, and there's something very sly about it because he complains about how, you know, I'm so bored. I was the ruler of all I survey as I was yesterday and the day before. They put it in, what was it, Dark Knight. Remember where uh, uh, Joker says, I'm like the dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it. And that's so true of so many villains. Villains in a comic book film are there to be evil, to try to conquer and lose, to fight the bad guy and seem to win but lose, but never to actually win. So what happens when one of these guys wins? There's no character to Zod. He, he, has no, he just wants to rule. The one thing I will say about Man of Steel is that the only character I gave a shit about was Zod, who wants to rebuild Krypton, who wants the, remember the Kryptonian oh, genome. Yeah. Yes, he's evil, and yes, he's prepared to wipe out an entire planet to rebuild his own, but that's the way he's built. Remember, in Man of Steel, Kryptonians are built. They're clones. Well, not clones, but they're, they're not birth. Superman, who's the, the first natural birth. Natural birth in centuries, yeah. So Zod is what he is. He's built to preserve Krypton, and that's what he does through the whole movie. And it's hard not to, I won't say sympathize with Well, yeah, sympathize, even if I don't agree with him. Like, he's doing, he's doing what his character was designed for. Literally designed to do. And so you can't ever blame him for what he does in pursuit of that goal. Whereas here, Zod just wants to rule. Okay, let's give it to then him. What? Then what? Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. He's thrilled that Kal-El is on Earth, the son of his jailer, Jor-El. But I think it's more that he just wants something to freaking do. You know, like, I think he would have been just as happy if aliens had invaded because then he'd have something else to, someone else to fight. And that's where Lex Luthor comes in and says, Yeah. I've, you've, I've got the one thing you don't have. Yeah. And that's Super the path to Superman. Yeah, yeah, and it's... More campiness, more silliness. There's three of you. Four, if you count him twice. <clears throat> you know, and <laughs> at one point he puts his, he's leaning on the on the mantle and he puts his hand on Ursa's and she starts to crush his hand. Crush it. And again, it's all campiness. And, and what do you want? Oh, I want Australia. I like beachfront property. Jesus Christ, this, the guy has literally seen the conquest of his planet and he still just wants beachfront property. Like, really? Come on. You know, <laughs> Again, what sir, what purpose does this scene serve that couldn't have been done in two lines elsewhere? Like I swear, Gene Hackman was in here for contractual reasons. Yeah, it could be. And then they so then they up in time to go to the Daily Planet and destroy the Daily Planet, looking for Lois Lane. Yeah, and they tear the place apart because apparently the Daily Planet's uh, office space is built out of cardboard, plywood, and candy glass. Though there's that Some one styrofoam and styrofoam, yeah. And, yeah, the desks fall apart if you punch them. They don't break a hole through the desk. They split down the middle. Split down the middle, yeah. That's what happens when you build your furniture out of styrofoam and cardboard, but yeah. <laughs> Even for all this accumulated knowledge, when will these dummies learn to use a doorknob? But the whole idea is that it's terror. Right. They're yeah, terrorizing. They're going to tear through the office. They're going to go directly from A to B, and they don't care what's in the way. 
And I like that because it shows like you, you people are in our way. We don't care. And the minute they have Lois Lane, kill uh, Luther. And of course, he negotiates his way out of that too. By but... saying, I know his address. Yeah, I have Superman. Oh, no, no, that comes later. No, first, no, the idea is first to get to Lois Lane because he knows Superman will yeah. show up, and Superman does. And then you get this cool fight, and I mean, we're not going to go blow by blow through the fight, but it's a cool fight. Like, a good action in Metropolis downtown. Yeah, like it's the special effects, like there's that one area where he sort of, where, where Zod lands on the scaffolding of the building, and it's clear that it's two different sets, like it's being oh, superimposed yeah. on, a, and, and that, you know, uh, Terrence Stamp, who plays Zod wonderfully, sort of jumps up from a, or jumps down from like a, uh, a stepladder into the camera and walks forward as if he just landed and okay. It's silly and all that, but it's a good scene because it's, it's, it's violent. Not violence in an awful way, it's just like it's a good action scene, but it's still very campy. You yeah, know, of course. Like when the winds start, like when they think they've killed Superman, or like when, they, when, when the civilians around think the Superman's been killed, they start grabbing whatever's around, including some douchebag sailor who grabs a traffic cone and they start charging down the street at these guys and they're sort of literally blown away with super you know with super breath and then you know there's the and then they have all those like jokes of the the guy who has the ice cream cone in his face and then uh, someone else who's <laughs> won't get off the phone despite the fact that he's being blown down the street and the and this is also where i swear to god this is where all of the uh the sponsorship coca-cola kfc and marlboro cigarettes you know, it's so obvious that those three things, like they pay because they're constantly in. Like you're always seeing them in this in this fight that takes place across downtown New York. Uh, I mean, Metropolis. They do a bad job of that, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Pretend yeah. like, yeah, I get it. You have to. It's meant to be. Metropolis was always intended to be a stand-in for New York, but Jesus Christ, don't show the World Trade Center. Yeah. In the first one, it was worse. They showed the Statue of Liberty. It's like, come on, guys. You couldn't find somewhere else in all of Manhattan to film. You had to show that. But uh, no, it's just bad filming, I think, is what it's meant to be. be, Well, it's just like Gotham. Like, Metropolis just means a huge city. And Gotham was, was in the 30s, a a reference to New York City. Big, scary, dark city. But over time, in the comics, Metropolis became its own city. Right. Gotham City became its own city, separate from New York. Right. In DC, they invent, they they like DC uh, comics tend to invent cities. Like the Flash lives in Central City, or what the fuck that is. Whereas in in Marvel, well, the Fantastic Four Baxter Building is in Manhattan. Spider Man lives in Queens. Right. They use real locations, whereas DC, for whatever reason, invents their own cities. I don't know why that is, but it is what it is. But again, they do a pretty bad job of hiding the fact that this is New York, but it's still kind of on a budget. Of course. But I wonder how much of that $54 million was poured into that one scene. The fight scene. The fight scene, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's pretty impressive, and you, know, you get to see actual struggles between Terrence Stamp and Christopher Reeve. Of course, Christopher Reeve is all buff. He'd worked out for this, and Terrence Stamp's got about 25 years on him, and he's the scrawny guy, but you're meant to believe that they're of equal strength because they're Kryptonian. Like, oh, okay, whatever. And then <laughs> Superman leaves and he says, Yeah, he oh, flees. He flees. He flees. Oh, we've defeated Superman. We're yeah. And, and so now then, what? And now, now they, yeah, they kill they, Lex Luthor. Yeah, and they, they chase him to the Fortress of Solitude. And this is where we learn that conveniently, Superman and, and Kryptonians have whatever powers the filmmakers need them to have, including grabbing, I don't know, like a big super growing plastic version of your Superman shield and trying to smother a guy with it and creating multiple copies of yourself and teleporting around and 
all these different rays that come out of your hands. It's like, if you can't just look, <laughs> if you can't pick up like a Superman comic, read what powers he has, and write that into your film, you're not much of a writer. True. You know, like, or maybe you're not a reader. Yeah, well, I can't <laughs> help but think that most screenwriters are pretty literate, intelligent folks. Though, admittedly, we did watch Rad yesterday, and we have seen Commando, so it's hard to tell. <laughs> Back on Rad. Back on Rad, yeah, which you guys won't have heard yet, but yesterday we recorded Rad, and it's not. But it's any, Rad. No, no, gnarly. no, no, it's not. No, 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 it's not. Well, like I said, film nearby. But then Superman 3 was filmed nearby, and i got to tell that story in this podcast. But, yeah, so anyway, there's this, there's some silliness at the Fortress of Solitude, and it sort of ends by Superman agreeing to be, uh, you know, Zod's slave, and he whispers to Luther, don't let them go in that molecule chamber. It'll turn them weak like you. And, of course, Luther... Or help me. Help me talk them into it. Yeah, that. help me talk them into it. That's right. Help me talk them into it. And, of course, he knows damn well Luther's going to say, don't go in there, which is what he says. And so they make him go in there. But, in fact, he's flipped it. He's reversed it so that he was protected in his molecule chamber. What that is, I don't know. But it sounds scientific-y. Um, <laughs> and uh, sort of like the uh, Simpsons episode. I'm a scientician. But, yeah, everyone, like the Zod and company, are made into weak mortals. And he cry, you know, he's made to kneel before Zod, which is like the most... That's the meme of Zod. Kneel before Zod. By, by the way, there's a kick-ass Twitter account. If you guys, you'll probably be gone by the time you guys hear this. But there's a there's a provincial election going on in the province of Ontario, and so some guy who really doesn't want Doug Ford to win created General Zod for Premier. It's a great. Uh, it's, that's like a governor, by the way. Um, it's a it's a great Twitter account. And it's really just attacking uh, Doug Ford, but it's really quite funny because they go through all the tropes of this movie. Like you must kneel, kneel before me, and I will crush you. And it's it's quite funny. But yeah, so he kneels before Zod, and then crushes his hand and throws him into a crevice, crevasse, whatever. And then Non tries to fly, and falls. And now rule of the '80s: only a girl can hit a girl. Celine punches. Ooh, you're a real pain in the neck and punches her and Ursa goes down and that's sort of it. Well, I mean, there's a few more scenes, but it's, yeah, we see the next day, you know, Lois crying. I, how, how am I going to work with you knowing you're Superman? And so and a I new can't power. can't do anything about it. Yeah, and, and so she he gives her a lobotomy by kissing her apparently and she forgets everything. I was about to say the White House comes first, but no. He goes back to talk to Mr. Wonderful at the truck stop. Yeah, he's got un unpaid debt there. Unpaid debt, yeah. The funny thing is, it's not a knockdown dragout fight. He doesn't beat the shit out of this guy. Mr. Wonderful punches him, Clark, in the stomach. And, of course, Clark is Superman again. And you can hear his bones crackling. And the gross thing is, it's not just one big crunch. Oh. keep crackling it's kind of grotesque i'm totally putting that sound effect in and then uh clark puts him on a stool spins him around so he's nauseous beyond reason and then sort of pushes him down the bar and then says here's the money for the damage yeah he pays him and that was a, that was a big wad of 20s and yeah. that probably does fix it but and then he goes and he returns the he returns the flag to the white house and the missing ceiling and says i'll never let you down again and then flies off and that's the movie First thing the credits say, coming soon, Superman three. Right. But uh, and that's the one that I that I saw filmed. And then what? Yeah. What were you saying? You were saying something about uh, this one being filmed nearby. Well, it, bits of it were like uh, the Kent farm from Superman one is outside of High River, which is like twenty minutes, twenty minutes, half an hour, half an hour south of, of Calgary. I'm actually starting site supervising in High River next week. Oh, there you go. To build, so I'll go. Uh, yes, you can see the farm, and. Uh, they filmed bits and my understanding is they filmed bits and pieces of metropolis in downtown calgary but i don't know 
whether that's someone mistaking for the fact that Superman 3 was filmed in Calgary. Right. Like, there's a point where yeah. you can see the C-train flying. Like, <laughs> like, you know, they filmed... But I, like I said, I was a kid when that came out, and uh, they filmed Smallville. They used High River. They used all the... Oh, that's right. High, Smallville was in High River. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, back when High River was a... Mu- not that it's huge now, but when a much smaller... A much smaller uh, town. And I got to see the scene in Superman 3 where he sort of arrives and he's honored by the town and that's when the red kryptonite shows up. So as a kid, I mean, look, it's, it's the way they film, they film maybe a page a day. So I got to watch Christopher Reeve jump down off of a uh, stepladder 50 freaking times, huh. which they cut from the film. You just see him there sitting at the table having already arrived. They cut the scene. But I just remember I had a, I had a Superman, I was a kid, I, I was like six, seven years old, and I had a Superman shirt with the cape and everything. For whatever reason, though, is that my Superman cape had this logo on the back. One of the cameramen working for the movie saw me, and he says, I want you to like run away from the camera. I want to film this. And he filmed it. I'm sure he did. For years and years, Ramey, I thought that the Superman logo pushing away from the camera at the beginning of Superman 3, I thought it was me. Oh, that yeah. They had edited it out, everything but... Okay. But of course, that's that's not even remotely true. It's not even possible. But for years and years and years, I thought it was me, and it was funny because I went, I, I you know, in, you know, preparing preparing for this, I watched Superman three again, and I kept pausing, trying to see, like, am I in there? Can I spot my mother? Like, no, they must have filmed. They they didn't use the scene that day, but yeah, uh, they filmed a bunch of it in and around Calgary. It, it, Superman three is neat to watch. Sort of like you know, I I made fun of Rad yesterday, but. One thing I did mention in the podcast is it's neat to see Cochrane the way it was in the in the oh, mid eighties. So cool. Superman three, it's the same thing. It's neat to see the way Calgary, which is now one point two million people, looked in the mid eighties where it was like it was not even half a million. Well that's like uh, Cool Runnings is another movie that's filmed yeah. in Calgary. It's yeah. a remake of the Jamaican bobsled team in the eighty eight Olympics. Yeah, I think it was filmed in eighty nine. It's, it's like, pretty cool to see that movie for I, first of all it's a Good, it's a good movie, yeah. It's yeah. a good movie. Um, but second of all, like seeing all of Calgary and the Calgary Tower and how prominent it was in our in our skyline, and now you look, look out the window and the ma- you know, the, you the, see the, the big buildings have really taken over yeah. our skyline yeah. and it's it's pretty neat to see where how far we've come. That's one of the things I'm enjoying most about this podcast, is that these are movies from the eighties and we are seeing a world that doesn't exist anymore. We are seeing like when we watched poltergeist we talked about sort of the suburban normality of it i lived that you know the way the kids behaved around each other the way the houses looked it's like visiting my childhood again and seeing the way calgary looked or the way you know even new york looked or whatever like obviously it's highly stylized it's still hollywood bullshit but you're seeing a a life that isn't there anymore like even the toys in the kids' rooms in uh, oh yeah in in, in uh, poultry. Like I have that Yoda. I still have that Yoda, by the way. Like I, you know, it's really neat to see that sort of thing. I, I think it, it's really crazy. And I mean, you look at somebody that's maybe eighty years old, and what they've seen in eighty years, the advancement of technology is yeah. is unbelievable. But even in my short life, I didn't get my first cell phone until ninety eight, ninety seven. Yeah, I think that's what and, I, I got mine in ninety nine. Four yeah. years before that, nobody had cell phones. Yeah. And now you give me shit every three minutes because I'm in my phone because yeah. <laughs> it literally burns a hole in my pocket if I'm not looking at yeah, it. Yeah, It's got such a... Yeah. It's a different, it it's a different world. It controls my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like, your fault, but yeah. What did we do? Oh, true, it is, yeah, but, but what did we do? What did we do in, when I needed to meet a friend in 96? You, it was, you meet made, me on this corner at this time. And you and if you weren't there, you'd stand around and go, you'd asshole, wait, and you'd, you'd wait leave. two more buses. 
And, and if the, they weren't on either bus, you're out of there. Yeah, you're out of there. Yeah. Now it, it's like, where are you? Where are you? Where yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it is neat. Like these, and I and I wonder how many of our listeners, it's the same thing that they're thinking back to these movies that that portray a world that is is gone. The way women were treated. Okay, it's better now. But it's just the way kids were treated, the way they interacted with their parents, and the way technology was shown, and just the way society behaved, and assumptions that were made that you wouldn't dare make anymore. I mean, how many things have we seen in these movies where you go, wow, that wouldn't work anymore? Like, how many times did you joke watching one of these films, hashtag me too? Which yeah. obviously is, is, is a serious thing. It's that we don't mean it. That yeah, me too not, is a joke. It's, it's, it's a serious it's, it's, movement. It's an, an important it's a, movement. An important movement. But to look back on these films from 30 years ago and go, holy shit! It is amazing what yeah. they people what they were allowed to say and do and the interactions. It's it's crazy. And even today, I mean, in Superman, they've got a yeah, sit right down here, honey. They got a poster of Bill Cosby on the uh, yeah, the, on the, 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 wall. the picture of Bill Cosby. I'm like, wow, that's awkward. That would never <laughs> happen in today's movie. This is this well, was a, I mean, how would you know? Like in the '90s, this was a this was a. a a huge figure in, in 80s and 90s, in yeah. 80s and 90s well even in the 70s and, 80s and 90s yeah yeah like um yeah so it's just amazing to see how things have changed it's like well but then yeah. you go back even to the early 90s and see uh uh the naked gun and see norbert played by oh, oj simpson, simpson. Yeah. i don't think he's available for films anymore no, no. so but, well it uh, depends maybe he could film the lex luger lex luther yeah. lex luther in jail, jail scene. scene yeah no they got jesse eisenberg doing luther now and he's awful <laughs> so. But. so there it is superman 2 and yeah, I'm. Do we do the? Did it hold up? And what's our star? Rating? Yeah, I guess so. So, well, we kind of talked about that already, didn't we? We already said it held up. Yeah, pretty well held up. I yeah, think it's and, an entertaining movie. And, and as for stars, I don't know, I'd give it a three out of four. Yeah, that's a fair judgment. It's not the best movie I've seen from the '80s, and it's not the worst it, movie. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's, it's a good, good movie. movie. Yeah, it was worth. Uh, it's one of those ones where I was happy to watch it. Yeah. So, and now on to your. 